Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Uh, today we have returning guest. I mean, we, we don't usually have a turnaround this quick, but he was so fascinating last time. And, and the listener response was so overwhelming. We brought him right back. Andrew Daniel, who is the founder of Center for Sinus Somatics, who is an expert on how our bodies literally have a death grip on our traumas, negative behavior patterns, and mental blocks. And we're going to talk about how to unblock those. But today, we're really going to do a deep dive into relationships. That's right. More specifically, into intimacy, masculine, the masculine, feminine, and we're also going to get into our sexuality. So, you know, tuck the children, tuck the children away in bed, right? This is this is adult talk. Um, but actually, you know what? And tell me what you think about this, Andrew. Keep the children up. I mean, I think <laughs> part of the problem here in intimacy, connection, sexuality, is we hide so much from our children. We shelter so much of our sexuality, of our intimacy, of our communication from children. And for what, 18 years of their life. And then we thrust them out into the world and wonder why they flounder about in relationships for the next 18 years. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, back in the hunter gatherer days, the kids saw everything my mom, papa did. I mean, there's only so much a bush can hide, right? Yeah, I think there, there's obviously certain things that are appropriate and inappropriate at, at certain ages. Um, I think there's context that uh, young children uh, don't have to have things make sense. Uh, but I also agree that there's uh, a big taboo around relationships, intimacy, and sex in most families. I think mostly because the parents themselves are so out of relationship with these in their own relationships and their, their own selves, uh, the parents uh, are not comfortable in their own sexuality. And that makes it very hard to be comfortable when you're talking to children. Because, you know, if, certainly it could be awkward. Uh, but I think that if you are at peace, if you are in relationship with your relationships and these concepts, and you don't make it awkward, I think that growing up in an environment where these things uh, can be uh, natural topics uh, actually can can break down some of the awkwardness and the barriers and the taboo and have children and young adults that when they hit puberty, they know what to expect. When they become young adults, they're not taken by surprise. I mean, there's enough surprise and transformation and stuff as it is. Um, and then having all of these weird uh, hangups and taboos and shames and guilts, I think that is a very important thing to, to have a household that doesn't shame and guilt and demonize uh, natural uh, development. Yeah, you know, I went to a Catholic school and, you know, demons were par for the course, right? It was saints and sinners and uh, 
yeah. evildoers and et cetera. Et and cetera. you weren't the saint, right? <laughs> yeah, I was not the saint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting uh mix of of messages. The you know, and before we do a deep dive into this, I, I really want to get clear on terms because intimacy is a word that most people don't usually use, especially men. Usually we view things in terms of sex, not sex, having a baby, not having a baby. And sometimes we throw in the word communication, but I don't really hear a lot of guys being like, yeah, man, I, I wish I, I could be more intimate with my girlfriend or my wife or, or even women. I don't know if they even really use that word. Can we talk about how are we defining intimacy? Uh, you know, just from your perspective. Yeah. Great question. Uh, one of the because one of the things that I spend a lot of time with in my book and with new clients <laughs> and long term clients still is redefining uh, because definitions are incredibly important. The words we use define our reality. They define the way we think about things. The way we think about things, the way we talk about things, is going to define our reality. And if we have incorrect or distorted definitions or symbols or distorted interpretations of the symbols, well, guess what? Our reality is going to be distorted. And we can see that happening right now before our eyes with the, the mass confusion of uh, gender identities, sexual orientations, um, people's definition of even truth of men and women. And this distortion of definitions, uh, the idea that all these definitions can just be reinvented all the time is incredibly dangerous. Uh, not dangerous because of any political agenda that I may have, uh, but dangerous because definitions orient us towards reality. And having accurate definitions orient us towards the truth. Uh, it also orients everybody else uh, in the world to the same idea, to the same symbol and concept. And so there, there's a subjective element to some things, uh, but there's also very objective elements to things. So when it comes to our own sexuality and relationships and our healing, having the even not necessarily correct definition, but at least agreeing on a definition is a really important place to start in these conversations. Uh, because I could say victim, I could say intimacy, I could say um, connection and love, and everybody listening may have their own way of articulating or defining these things. So it's an absolutely stellar question. It sounds so obvious and basic, but it is really important because without understanding what we mean by what we say, it's hard to make any sense of anything. So with that said, what is intimacy and what, what am I referring to when I say it? So first off, intimacy is not just sex. I think a lot of people uh, will hear the word intimacy and immediately go to uh, sexual, physical connection. Uh, that certainly is an aspect, but it is not the defining aspect. Intimacy, really, how I define it, is 
letting other people in and also a willingness well a willingness to let other people in and a willingness to go into another and that could be emotionally mentally kind of energetically you know just a sort of vibe connection and even physically now, physically being the most obvious apparent i would say explicit version of that uh, and it doesn't have to be also physical intimacy doesn't have to just be intercourse uh, it could be letting somebody in through a physical touch right just touching somebody uh, is a physical uh, way to let somebody in or to literally reach out into somebody else so intimacy in this context uh, can be sexual it can be that physical act of sex but at the higher level it is a, a willingness it is letting somebody in to see you it's uh, a a willingness to let somebody in to not only see you but to see all of you and that requires tremendous courage it requires vulnerability and so when i talk about intimacy it also has vulnerability attached to it um and there's other words that can be attached to it right surrender allowing uh penetration um courage all of these words uh, are associated to intimacy and so i think that's a, a good place to start this is really resonating on so many levels michelle and i are in couples therapy we've been in couples therapy for years now and in our last session our therapist talked about the importance of leading with emotions uh saying i feel a when you do b um so i need c kind of thing and i found that by leading with emotions which one is hard because i I'm so unaware of how I'm feeling most of the time, mm. right? To, so to even start there. But I realized that when we are having a conversation where we both are practicing leading with emotions, it fosters a connection between us. Because now I'm not using my rational brain with against your rational brain to be like, well, why don't you? And I don't understand this. It's like, you can't argue with emotions. I can't argue with if the fact that you feel hurt or upset or attacked or betrayed or abandoned. And it, I find that when someone leads with emotions, it really softens me up or the other person up to want to then step into their shoes and really listen to what they have to say. And for, and for me to, uh, I don't want to say back down, but to be open to uh, receiving their message. When you talk about letting other people in and, and, and them letting you in, what does that look like practically? Like two people are sitting across from each other. Maybe they're in an argument. And typically these arguments escalate. I feel like because they're not letting each other in. Yeah. Um, so what what would that look like conversationally? What what's a practical tool for that? Well, I think you brought up a, 
a really important point about emotion. And in my work, what we deal with primarily are feeling. Now, it's an important distinction here before we move forward, because you said something about you're not aware of your emotions. And I think a lot of men uh, as well haven't been raised in environments where there is a healthy um, reference point uh, for what that looks like. Uh, you you either have uh, one or the other. You have uh, people that are just completely shut down and say, men do not show emotions. You are just a warrior that doesn't feel anything and you have to tough yourself through the world. Or the complete opposite where everything's emotions and we're not going to get anything done. We're just going to sit around and talk about our feelings. And neither of those work, right? Neither of those are highly functional because you can be a, a warrior. You can be a leader. You can be a lover and you can be all a hero, right? You can be all of these uh, primal archetypical masculine figures but unless that's plugged into feeling, unless that's plugged into the emotional symbolic realm, uh, you're you're missing out a on an entire range of resources, an entire range of experiences, and it's kind of meaningless. Um, and fourthly, it's going to create a lot of trouble in your life. Uh, it we all know how many relationships struggle. Because the men uh, refuse to to validate their own or another's uh, emotions or the way that they feel, and it 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 comes back to this entire discussion about intimacy because intimacy is a feeling, right? You you feel intimacy. You don't just think, oh, hello, we are intimate here. Yes, this is great. You exchange data. I will exchange data. Great, we have connected. All right. Good night. Goodbye. That there's nothing there. Nobody aspires to that. Nobody's inspired by it. Nobody dies and says, oh, wow, I'm so glad I was a robot who didn't feel. Like nobody has a regret of saying, I felt, I felt fully in my life. Now, with this comes a whole host of stuff like boundaries and needs and um understanding the difference between what feeling is versus our feelings. And this is a big issue, again, around intimacy and our relationship to intimacy and emotions, uh, because our feelings generally are not feeling, right? So when most of us see people that are um, caught up in their feelings, they say, oh, you hurt my feelings. Um, or well, I feel like this person's going to win, or my feelings on this political topic are this, um, or somebody's being hysterical, right? They're they're crying, they're being dramatic. None of this is actually feeling. Most of these things are reactions to feeling. They're acting the feeling out, and oftentimes it's a way to not actually have to feel. Yes. So I'll say this again in a different way. Many times when people are being hysterical, they're creating drama, they're overreacting, they're throwing a tantrum because they're pretending to be offended. 
Uh, they're saying you hurt their feelings and whining and being a victim. Most of those instances, they're acting all of that out in order to not have to feel what's underneath it. And what are the real feelings underneath that, right? Well, those are the shame, the guilt, the sadness, the fear, the dread, the despair, the loneliness, the heartbreak. That is the real emotion. That is really feeling. And so all of these reactivities, when the masculine man comes along, he's like, that stuff is nonsense. Nothing gets done. This is noise and chaos. This is annoying. Logic and reason prevails, right? It's so superior. The intellect is so superior to all this drama and noise and chaos. And they'd be right. And it's much more functional to live a life using logic and reason than being reactive and volatile and being hysterical and complaining all the time. But that is not feeling. When you're actually feeling, you're connecting to your intuition. You're connecting into your body. You're going down and accessing the truth. You're accessing accessing all of these resources because underneath the sadness, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the loneliness, under all of that stuff is wisdom, is love, is compassion. And those are the things that lead us to a functional, fulfilling, intimate, connected life. And so when you can can address and heal, I call it the uh, egoic intellectual's wound, right? The person who said, the person who's been hurt so bad that they say, yeah, this feeling stuff is not for me. I'm going to go and live in my head in reason and logic and become uh, overly stoic and not deal with any of that feeling stuff. The problem is, is that they're living in their head and they're cut off from all of these resources that I just talked about, the intuition, the intimacy, connection, uh, all of this stuff. And so full circling all of that back to your question is understanding what real feeling is versus emotional reactivity feelings, acknowledging the difference and being able to discern that difference in ourselves and other people. So when someone says to you, oh, you hurt my feelings, blah, 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 blah. You understand that that's a drama, that that's not real. And when someone comes to you and says, yeah, when you did this, I really felt like this and it hurts. And you say, okay, that's something completely different. That is is worth going into. That is worth facing. But it's also tremendously more scary to go in and face that because of what it brings up in you and the other person. But that's intimacy. That's more real. When you can actually share what's going on inside and when you're actually willing to listen and to feel and connect to what's going on inside of another person, that's what that really looks like actually being open to having those discussions and to feel, to actually have empathy and feel yourself and to feel what the other person's feeling. That requires so much more courage and vulnerability and willingness than putting an armor up, putting a defense up, putting a mask on, closing off, shutting down, uh, and trying to uh, live in intellect alone.
So that was a bunch of stuff. So let's just <laughs> let's just circle back here. A bunch of very valuable stuff. And so first, thank you for sharing that information. And the thing that comes to mind is I just had my girlfriend's nephew here, four years old. And there were moments where he was throwing tantrums. Could not understand for the life of us what was going on. And I bring this up to say, for a four-year-old, for children, and even for adults who don't quite have that vast, expansive vocabulary for I'm feeling shame, I'm feeling guilt, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling hurt. How do they access it in a way, in those moments where they don't have the vocabulary for it, where they don't have the, the language for what's happening? That's that's just freaking awesome question. <laughs> um, well, I think first, as an adult, learn the vocabulary. Uh, the the greater range you have in vocabulary in describing these things is going to dramatically improve your life. If you only have sad, happy, um, okay, depressed, uh, ecstatic. That's maybe a, even a big word, um, but just having four or five, guess what's going to happen? Your reality is bound between those things. And so your days are going to be either like, oh, I'm feeling great or I hate myself. And so your daily reality is going to feel like you're constantly swinging back and forth between these extremes. And yes, when we're young, we only know it's only like, this is a good feeling and this is a bad feeling. We don't have these subtleties developed. So actually consciously having to learn the words and being able to get the reference points, because it's not just learning the words, it's getting the reference points to what those words connect to symbolically through feeling in ourselves. Because if you don't know what melancholy feels like, it means nothing. <laughs> if you don't know what so the difference between melancholy melancholy, somber, sad, and depressed is, it really isn't going to help you. You you actually have to, through reference points, through other humans, which requires you to either watch movies, uh, you know, having video is a great way to transmute some of that stuff. So watching, I don't know exactly what that would be, um, off the top of my head, I... But I'm sure there are videos out there that express all these ranges of emotions, being around other emotionally intelligent people. And so getting the definitions help because you're like, all right, well, this is the difference between sadness and depression, or this is the difference between elation and joy or intrigue or curiosity. Actually developing the emotional intelligence vocabulary and reference points is probably going to be one of the most helpful ways to do that. Now, let's say you don't have access to that. Let's say you're also four years old and you don't know what anything means that I just said. <laughs> How do you communicate this? How do you figure this out? And this is I, I, why I said earlier, I love this question because I've never been asked it. And I actually have a really incredible solution to it that is part of my cinesomatic work. And I've never put it this way, but it actually applies perfectly. And that is 
play it out in the body, right? So if you have a feeling and you don't know how to describe it, imagine you're talking to somebody that doesn't speak English or your language or is an alien or someone that doesn't know this, even yourself, play it out through the body, right? Because maybe you just know angry and mad and you don't have the word for frustrated. You, maybe you don't know what frustration means. I, I would, As an adult, I would hope you do. But if you don't, you can find that feeling. Well, what does that feeling look like? It's like, right? Whatever that is, you can with your body, we naturally, it's built in. Our body has these somatic references to these feelings in our body. That's why being in our body is so important because that is the realm of it. And it knows it's built in. And so when you're doing that, you could do this stuff. All right. Any, any adult who has emotional intelligence themselves, who has vocabulary, can look at that and say, oh, you're frustrated. That's what that is. Okay. <laughs> and so then the adult can help either explain it or help whatever it is. Um, also, by expressing it through your body, you can, it may be helpful to narrate it. So maybe you're talking to a little kid and they're just like hitting their head. And so, so you're hitting your head. Why? What, what's going on in your head? Well, there's something in my head that I want to say, and I, I don't know how to get it out. And it feels like it's just stuck in my head. Oh, okay. And then the adult can help them actually talk through it and work through it. Or the, the child or the person may have images in their mind. And they may just narrate, well, every time mommy does this, says these words, I get a picture of a mean dog biting my foot. Okay. And so if you can start to, to discuss and to communicate more from the symbolic realm than the intellectual realm, very, very quickly, anybody that has a certain level of, of intelligence and awareness uh, we'll be able to to uh, trans not transcribe, but to figure out what it is to translate uh, those body movements, the imagery and the symbols into a word and a feeling uh, to help you uh, communicate. There are moments when I'm experiencing suicidal thoughts and it feels like a pressure built up in my head. And the image that I get is that I want to screw my head off and then place it off to the side. And it's beautiful to be aware of that because for me, it's a reminder that I don't want to end my life. I just want to release the pressure that is built up in my head from whatever the source is. And just that awareness helps to reduce the level of intensity, right? I don't want to get rid of the whole. I just kind of want to get rid of the part, but not forever, just for now and let it like calm down. It's almost like a car that's overheated, where it's like release valve. Yeah. yeah, you want the release valve. And being aware of that, I go, okay. So I just need to come up with a coping mechanism of for that moment or 
just become a better observer of, okay, because what I haven't actually done is, and, and, and why I'm bringing it up is because you're talking about play it out in a body. And I realized what I've never done is play out what happens after I unscrew my head and place it off to the side. The, the imagery stops there, but mm-hmm. I would love to, you know, I'm not saying now, but I'm going to take some time at, that, that you mentioned it and ask myself like, then what happens next and, and what do I expect and what does that feel like and kind of just sit in that um, and, you know, talk to my therapist about it. So I'm glad well, you brought that up. Yeah, well, this this is really cool because even from that, what you get to see is an increased range of vocabulary. Now we would call it a somatic vocabulary, a symbolic vocabulary. Maybe it's not the words, but you have increased range in being able to define what you're really feeling. And with that, it's like, okay. I just feel like I want to die. I just want to kill my, I just want to end it. This is too much. Okay. Well, if you go through this, well, what does that look like? What is the feeling underneath of it? And what you just described, it's like, oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe this isn't about me hating myself and my life and wanting to kill myself. This, what I'm actually seeing is that there's a tremendous pressure that's built up and I just need that pressure gone and out. And I have no other way of articulating or solving that or rectifying it besides taking my life. To me, that is the only way in this metaphor that I can end that to create that release valve. Okay, well, knowing that enough is life-saving because if you can take the moment and cope in that moment, and then bring in some awareness, say, oh, like it actually brings in hope because you're like, wait a minute, there's actually a way out of this that might not just be death. And I think a lot of us, as I said last time, you know, I've wanted to take my own life and others' lives when I when I was young and in a lot of pain. And and really the reason was was because I didn't know how to make the pain stop. I, I didn't know how to end the pain that I was in. And with what you just shared here, this this process of imagining it and then feeling it in the body and seeing what that actually would look like, it, it actually provides hope. It actually says, oh, there actually may be another way out of this. Okay, well, this is about a pressure buildup. <clears throat> Okay. And then if you start kind of reverse engineering it and working backwards, my invitation even further, wouldn't it be just to cope with that and use that as a coping mechanism? That would be to trace it back to see what is causing all of that pressure buildup and how do you actually heal that? And if you can heal that, well, that's a way out of the pain and suffering that doesn't involve death. Um, And with that too, it could, it may be hopeful, or it also may be even more scary because what you may find in that process is that there's a lot of shadowy, dark stuff in there uh, that um, you don't want to look at, um, and so that that may bring up another dilemma 
but at least it's another path. At least you can say, all right, well, I have a choice now. I could either end it or cope with that, or I could face these demons, or I could actually go and face this stuff now that I know that there's something there. And that could be a way out too. And so it's another kind of hope. Uh, it takes tremendous amounts of courage and willingness, um, but it does show that there is another way. You re- use the word symbol a lot, symbolic, symbol. Yeah. Um, can you talk to me about that a little bit? Because uh, to me, that denotes um, imagery, um, videos, what's kind of like, what's the story you're telling yourself? I know like in meditation, they say, you know, imagine there's a, a blue bubble, you know, surrounding you to make you feel safe and secure. Uh, what's the significance of using the word symbol for you? And why is that so uh, important? Uh, because that is underlining language. Uh, before we had language, we had symbols. And our unconscious works in symbolism and symbols. And that is also the realm of feeling, right? Feeling, it's like, all right, define love. Define the feeling of love. Tell me what love is. What does it feel like? You can't. And and, and that's the greatest, I, I think, greatest aspiration of art in, in one sense is to describe the undescribable. <laughs> you, you can't. Even the greatest paint, painting in the world isn't the thing. It can lead us to the thing. It can inspire the thing, but it isn't the thing. And so the reason I speak of symbolism and it's so important is because this is the way everything works. These archetypes are not only an emergent quality of humanity, human consciousness, but it also underpins it. It's also the thing that it emerges from. So I find that archetypes are symbols. Not all symbols are archetypes, but all archetypes are symbols. They're symbolic. And these archetypes that inhabit ourselves these myths, these mythologies, these stories that you mentioned, these stories are the thing that run our lives. They narrate our lives. They are it's it's the it's like the electricity, right? We, we are a machine. Uh, our our life are all of these things. Right? We have computers, we have uh, Cars, cameras, phones, all of these things, TVs, air conditioning, all of this stuff is based on electricity. But what is electricity? Can you grab electricity? <laughs> you know, even our science still, you know, they can they can put a label on it. They can give it an equation. But what is it really? And we can define love. We can define intimacy. We can define life. But it's not the thing itself. And so if you start moving through the world more from feeling, more from a symbolic-based awareness rather than a logical um, 
rational linear-based awareness, you are starting to work in the realm of the unconscious. And this is more of the shamanic realm. This is the dream realm. This is the mystical realm. All of those subconscious realms work in symbolism and feeling. And so if you can start to tap into those, you have access to a tremendous amount of transformational and healing um, ranged capabilities. I'm assuming that's why people do these ayahuasca trips, right? Where it unlocks, you know, different parts of the mind and then you start seeing things in a different way and colors and, and access emotions. Um, and, and, and also I guess is why it's, you know, it's so important to not just do something like that on your own, where you have someone who you can process what you, the symbols that you've seen. And it, it brings to mind, like, you know, I have friends who smoke weed to kind of relax and kind of open their minds, but, and tell me what you think about this, like, in a lot of tribes, when they would do these mind altering or mood altering uh, substances, whether it's uh, plants, teas, or or what mushrooms or what have you, they would do it together, and there would be this uh, ritual around it, and mm-hmm. a ceremony. way that they yeah. ceremony and a way that they communicated what happened. And I find like the what's damaging is to do these plant-based drugs or these mood-altering or mind-altering drugs in isolation, to think that just taking the thing, the substance, is enough. But if you don't have somebody to talk out the symbols that you're seeing, then you're kind of spinning your wheels. What would your thoughts be on that? Um, I still think they would be beneficial, um, but I also think it's not for necessarily beginners. Um, so for myself, being somebody who has dedicated my life to this, I would feel comfortable doing certain things by myself that I would never recommend other people doing it. That's because I, I'm a professional in this. Um, but there's still plenty of things where it's like, because you lose consciousness and you need somebody there to hold that space for you and to reflect back. And even a process, even if you're by yourself, even let's say you know this stuff, having a reflection, having somebody else to reflect back to you is going to be very important. Plus, remember, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. Holding space for somebody else, hearing what they went through and their symbols, there's a connection there, right? If you're in a space, in a group setting, Sometimes you get these symbols, you get this information that's not just for you. When I do groups, again, we're not doing any psychedelics, but one of the most fascinating things I've seen in the group cinematic work is that there will be, let's say, a, a participant going through a process and they're facing the shadow material, they're having this huge healing and transformation. Two other participants are having the same transformation and healing experience, simply witnessing them going through it. So that participant is taking the whole group forward with their courage, with their willingness, with their healing, because there's going to be other people that resonate that same myth, that same story, that same trauma 
and it's going to be healing for them without those people having to be on the spot or the one going through the fire. And so I think regardless of substances, uh, doing it in uh, doing it out of isolation, uh, whatever healing work it is, it can be incredibly powerful, not only for us, but for the other people. And remember, full circling this back to the beginning, it's all about intimacy, right? You're doing this work. You're doing this healing work. You're doing this shadow work. You're doing this therapy. If you're doing it in isolation, you don't have to take the risk of people judging you, of seeing your your demons, seeing the skeletons in your closets, judging you for your weaknesses and fallibility. But when you do it in a group, you have to have tremendous courage. You have to have a, a willingness to being seen in that process. And that in itself, that intimacy in itself alone could be incredibly healing. I've had countless clients say just being seen and heard in these things that I thought were despicable, that I thought were unlovable, that made me a monster, and having you love me without judgment and talk about it like it's it's nothing, not nothing, but nothing worth, you know, calling the police or, you know, um, sending me to hell, demonizing me for, has been incredibly healing and transformative. And I think that doing it in some form of, of container with other people allows that. And it does require more courage. It does require more vulnerability. And that is why it's more helpful. That's why it's more healing. Because, hey, you're going to move everyone else forward. They're also going to move you forward when they're doing their stuff just like you, them, and the intimacy that it creates is tremendous. I mean, there's so many people that do group therapy, that do these ceremonies, that do this men's groups and these containers, and they have incredible connection with people. When you go through these profound transformations and you're in this intense vulnerability and intimacy with other people, you never forget that. You remember that for the rest of your life. Um, compare that to when you smoke pot, uh, you know, three times a week, uh, you know, those experiences probably some may, they might be, <laughs> you might have some, but you know, it's not going to have that intimacy. You're not going to have that brotherhood or sisterhood or family connection. And that itself is tremendously healing. I think a lot of people, uh, want to take their, their life, uh, because they feel isolated. They feel alone. People don't love them. People don't care about them. Uh, so why live if nobody cares? Um, and I think that whatever the container and space is uh, to do this healing work where you have intimacy, again, in your relationships as well, is very, very healing, very, very important. Um, and, and finally, on that thread, which I, I just said, in your relationships, back to the intimacy, when you can heal, when you can let the people that you love in to see your shadow, to see the, the worst and best things about yourself, how how beautiful and amazing and, and light you are, plus maybe all that shadow stuff. And they're willing to do the same for you. And you can both do it without judgment, attack, defending, criticizing, or any of this stuff. I mean, that is the path to intimacy. 
And then from there, if it's a if it's a lover, if it's a partner, the physical intimacy that you may have afterwards, the the physical sex, that connection and depth, um, in my experience and all of my clients who have also done that, is so much deeper that the sex is so much more meaningful and connected and intimate. Man, a lot to unpack, and, and I know we have to wrap up here quickly. Um, but it brought up, it brought to mind, a, a, I don't know if it was a quote, but I heard someone say that home is where we can fully express ourselves without feeling judged. And I really love that definition of home because as you're, you're speaking and talking, that's, uh, it sounds like that's part of what you are discussing there, where we all want to be seen fully, not just parts of ourselves. I was just saying to a friend, like, I feel like I'm doing these different things, but they're all just asking for a part of who I am and, uh, and wanting to find that thing that it, um, allows me to show up, uh, in, in my, uh, in my full self. Right. Um, and, and then last, I have three questions total left. Uh, third question, third to last question <laughs> is because we're talking about symbolism and letting people in. I recently shared with my girlfriend that I was like, I had two, two nights in a row of erotic dreams. And I battled if I should share that with her because I didn't, because they, they didn't involve her. Uh, they didn't involve anybody that I knew, but I thought it was interesting because it's, it's not like she and I are not being intimate. And so I would have, I would have assumed that I would have had those types of dreams. Like, you know, when we had time away, what are your thoughts on, and I've heard other guys be like, man, I wouldn't have told her, or I wouldn't share that in terms of letting someone in and being intimate. Is it about sharing everything with it, with the other person or do we selective? And if we have to be selective, how do we be selective? But I, I really, you know, specifically I'm talking about dreams though but in general you can answer that if you want yeah well i think i think i think the amount you can share with your partner uh is indicative of how much trust uh you have in each other um so i i don't think that you are compelled to i don't think that you have to um but I, you know, I don't go into my new relationships and say, hey, here's all my secrets um, right off the bat, uh, but I don't shy away from it. So uh, I, I don't think that you have to be compelled to, but I think if you're afraid to, that is indicative of something. Uh, perhaps it's guilt or shame or fear, uh, or perhaps your partner doesn't respect you, doesn't trust you. Um, gets jealous, is going to distort it, is going to be offended by it. Um, you know, I've been in relationships where I've shared, oh, yeah, this is my, because we were literally like, hey, let's share our dreams as part of our, you know, partnership. And I would share these things like, oh, I had this dream, you know, I, I was with this ex that I knew or whatever, and she would get jealous and freak out. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I can't share with this person uh, because they can't handle it. Uh, well then you get to decide if that's a quality 
if that's something that you want in your relationship. And for me, it's not. You know, I I I want to be able to share anything that I want to. Doesn't mean I have to share everything. I don't think that that's required. But I think everything that I want to share that would create connection, I want to feel safe into being able to share. Even if they react, let's say, let's say I shared um, with my partner and uh, they react. I said, okay, well, if they understand, they said, wow, that makes me jealous. Okay, well, let's talk about it. That's different than if them just being jealous and being mad and pissy and creating drama and hell. It's they're allowed to feel whatever they feel, just like that's a subconscious response from them, just like the dream is a subconscious response from you. But can you talk about it? Can you, do you both know, oh, you're jealous. Okay, cool. That's interesting. Great. I love you. Let's have breakfast, <laughs> right? Or let's talk about it. That That is a very mature, very, very high level way of having relationships and intimacy and communicating. You know, yesterday when I, I shared something uh, else with Michelle and she kind of reacted and seemed upset by what I shared and not referring to the dream. Um, but, uh, I realized that, uh, I had to find another way to communicate with her. And you shared earlier about, you know, movies and TV. And I found that using doing things together so that you have a reference point of what mm. to connect back to, but like, Hey, remember that time when we watched the movie and we saw blah, 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 blah. And yep. it helps to foster that understanding. So that importance of doing things together. Uh, I know you have to go. Um, thank you for sharing this time. Please plug your things where people can find you. Sure. Um, I have my book, Awaken to Your True Self, Why You're Still Stuck and How to Break Through. Um, so if you're interested in these topics around intimacy and feeling and all of that kind of stuff, uh, I have many chapters in that book that discusses that. Um, if you want to learn more about me and the book and learn about all the stuff that I do, uh, you can go to andrewdaniel.org and there's links to everything there. Excellent. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you so much, listeners. Let's get to tomorrow together.